Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Live Your Raw Life podcast. Welcome to the platform where the intention is to help you live your rich, authentically aligned, wholesome life. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Watkins. Together, let's raise our vibrations and awareness in order for you to live the raw life that was meant for you. Hello, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Live Your Raw Life podcast. Today, I am joined by someone who has just immensely helped me through the journey of healing family wounds and moving into my power and just really a support system, even though I've never met her up until now. And she's helping so many other people through social media. It's just amazing the things that she says and all of the ideas that she has and can just bring them down and ground them so you can really use them as a tool to help your healing whether it's healing through family trauma or multi-generational trauma there's so many components here and lots we could discuss so i am so excited to introduce to you all dr nicole the holistic psychologist welcome thank you so much rachel for having me it's truly an honor to connect with you and your community thank you now, I am a little interested. I, I saw a few posts a while back, and it was a while back. How did you come into this work that you do? And what is the work that you yeah, do? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, the, work, the, work, the work that I do definitely looks a lot different, um, I believe, than the work that I imagined I would be doing and that I did for a very long time um, following what, for me, was a really intuitive ping um, of wanting to understand other people. And I felt that, you know, desire to understand other people for quite a long time, probably in childhood, as long as I can remember, when I met people that were different than me, that their way of being in the world, you know, wasn't mirroring my own. So I think in terms of trying to understand um, what made people similar to me and different than me, I had that drive of to understand and that drive quickly led into, I'm pursuing the path of being a psychologist. I want to, you know, have the job of helping people understand themselves, gain self-knowledge, and obviously create change um, when they were struggling with symptoms. Um, Symptoms that I myself had very intimate relationships with because I was also a little child who really understood anxiety. Um, My day-to-day experience was very fear-based. Um, Everything from, you know, afraid of strangers, hiding behind my mom's leg, um, tells me many stories of walking down the block and just a very shy child, Um, but a lot of fears of things, bad things happening um, to my family, to my loved ones. So again, as a lot of theories um, uh, are born, you know, we go into the field to to heal ourselves. I think I'm very prototypical of that in, in all of those ways, wanting to understand my anxiety and like I said earlier, obviously impart those tools. So flash forward a lot of time, a lot of training. I open up the practice that I thought I always wanted. Um, I show up week after week. I had a very successful practice. So I had a lot of clients coming through, working through many different um, things, symptoms, et cetera. And I came to find quite early, a couple years in even, that I wasn't doing such a great job <laughs> as, as a therapist and also in my own battle with anxiety. Mm-hmm. I felt myself spinning. 
um, and I call it the, the epidemic of stuckness. Um, incredible awareness, I believed I had. At this point, I believe a lot of my patients had. You know, a lot of us were knowing better, and I kept finding, Rachel, that we were struggling as a, as a collective, or so I felt, to, to do better, to actually create change. Um, so by way of my own dark night of the soul, um, really beginning to question not only my professional um, efficacy, if you will, but also, you know, my human journey on this planet. Um, I began to change things in my own life. I began to heal what I now understand as holistically addressing not only my mind as I had been for so long, but incorporating body-based wellness, you know, identifying the place of my soul or what, what makes me me and how do I express myself in the world. And after a journey of healing, I came to understand that the reason why we're so stuck is because we're not working in a unified way um, as humans, as practitioners. And I really began to understand the need for a holistic model of wellness. Um, and obviously my, my first pathway of beginning to speak about this new model of wellness was the whole world of social media where I created the Instagram account, The Holistic Psychologist, with my main intention being just to begin to speak this truth, this new awareness I was having, um, and see if anyone in the world resonated with it. And obviously, flash forward in time, I would have had no idea or expectation that the amount of people um, that are resonating would be as great as they are, as global as it is. Um, but I now understand it, actually, interestingly, a way you led into my introduction, which actually had me smiling, because the fact that these are concepts that are so universally relatable and that they're being spoken in a way, a story is being told that we can understand. And what I mean when I say that is the things that I speak about and I talk about and I urge us all to consider this holistic model of the human aren't new necessarily ideas, um, but I believe that they're being presented now in a practical way. And I think the sheer number of people that are, you know, attracted to the Instagram account and utilizing these tools is really emblematic of, of the universal epidemic of this stuckness. A lot of us from around the world are, are tired of not being able to create change um, and are now maybe beginning to find the pathway forward. Beautiful. Wow. You know, you, you said so much and there's so much that I want to touch on. First of all, I want to come back to that anxiety because that's definitely something that I can relate to. Um, and it, a lot of times it does come from that fear and we create this anxiety and these stories in our head. And I have had, I've dealt with my, my own anxiety. I had a panic attack while I was driving one time. That was the first time I experienced. It was terrifying. And when I, that was kind of like the point where I realized like something has to shift. Something is going on here and I have to really get to the root. And when you start digging and peeling the layers back, whew, that's a journey. <laughs> so, and that's something I think a lot of people can relate with, especially in the life as it was before COVID, you know, everyone's running and running in this pace of life is so mm -hmm. fast. And it's that fear of, I have to do it all, otherwise I won't have what I need almost. Um, and now I think we've gotten to this point, and this is where I want to kind of tie in a lot of things that you mentioned, is during COVID, I think so many people are going inward. And that's part of, you know, I am a little bit into astrology. I'm not a professional. I'm new to it for sure, but I love the messages that astrology can bring to us. 
And that was one of the themes for 2020 was this inward and we're stuck at home. And so what does that mean? And look inside. But then we have all of these, all of these tools, but it can be very confusing. And I want to touch base a little bit on when you mentioned the dark night of the soul. I just heard that term a couple of years ago. And at first I was like, well, is it one night? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I, I realized I've gone through my own dark night of the soul and it was many years. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Because I think it's really important to understand that concept. Yeah. And, and similar to you, I think for many of us, this is a, a new concept, a little known concept, or maybe even a misunderstood concept. Pulling back even a bit, you know, what are we talking about? Dark night of the what? Soul. I think for a lot of us, this concept of soul or this more kind of spiritual entity, um, again, is one of those things that is at minimum very not understood to, to really felt negatively about. I think a lot of times it gets washed in these concepts of religion, um, many of us, you know, coming through our own religious tradition. So again, I think this area and this concept is one that has lived maybe out there in theory, um, but not really, there haven't been many people like myself talking about what this looks like in day-to-day -day life. And a decade ago, if I'm honest, Rachel, you would have not heard me speaking with any, in any of these terms. I was very much the scientist. I needed to see the, the data um, that, you know, illustrated the, the presence of this, you know, entity that is the soul. Um, and I was very much, you know, resistant to any ideas that there was anything else um, in experience. However, what I was living is the results of what I believe are the disconnect from my essence, that which makes me me, um, and all of the ways that I was being, that I had practiced being from childhood, I focus a lot on childhood. Childhood is a very important developmental period for us. Um, to put it really simply, and this might even sound silly, it's where we're really taking in what it is to be here, to be human, to be in relationship with this physical body that we're now in, to with these interpersonal other people, these relationships that we're in. So we really are like wide-eyed sponges learning a lot of the habits and a lot of the patterns that many of us are going to be living on that autopilot repeat. And what many of us do at this early age, you know, when we aren't maybe fully getting our physical needs met and or our emotional needs met, or we don't maybe have the space in our small family systems, obviously this translates out to our school and our peers, where we don't feel safe to just be who we are. That's where that onion, like you talked about very beautifully, begins to form because we're also incredibly adaptive as little baby infants. And we know, and we all share, as far as I see it, a really core universal need as the interpersonal creatures that we all are as humans, which is to be in relationship with an, at least another human. And in infancy, we're actually, we're dependent. We can't meet our physical needs at minimum on our own. We need someone else. So we, we need to be in relationship with others. We're adaptive. And when we don't have, like I said, that space or when we're not being modeled ways to identify our physical needs or to navigate our unique emotions, this is a tall order for parents. We're all unique individuals and we're all limited by what we know how to do for ourselves. So intergenerationally, we're passing on, you know, these habits, these patterns. This is where my onion begins to form. So I begin to adapt. I learn how to show up in my relationships to ensure 
that I get the most needs met that I can. And it's within those adaptations that many of us start to assume masks, wear masks or assume roles. We become the helper, the caretaker, the life of the party, all of the things that we do to show up in a way that we feel safest. And unfortunately, what a lot of us are doing is we're creating habits and patterns that aren't really fully honoring our authenticity, that for our soul are taking us away in terms of disconnect. We're no longer just showing up purely in essence as I am. We're again playing those masks. So the dark night of the soul and how long it is to what symptoms and what it's going to feel like really does differ for each of us because it really becomes the accumulation of that onion. So what Mayan looked like was that anxiety that was always below the surface was more, was overwhelming, was breaking through. I too have went through periods of panic attack um, in terms of my physical body, my, my heart rate. Um, I was always waiting for the next, was very high. I was always waiting for the next shoe to drop. Um, I started to uh, have cognitive issues, hard time remembering midstream what I was saying, definitely had a hard time with memories in general. Um, I started to faint. And in terms of my relationships, I just felt very empty. Um, I didn't feel connected to people, yet I had people all around me. Um, I didn't feel like I was, I guess the word would be fulfilled in any way. Yet if you were to pull back and look at my life, I checked a lot of boxes. I was doing like a lot of us do, like you very eloquently also mentioned, trudging through, powering through. I was playing my role to the best of my ability like I knew how, but meanwhile, as for a lot of us, we our soul is screaming out. All of those ways I was coping were leading to more imbalances in my body, which were causing the symptoms of the brain fog, of me now fainting, of, of scary things happening. And again, that is what I believe dark night of the soul is. So it looks different. Um, again, some of us have physical symptoms. Some of us have emotional symptoms, dysregulation. Some of us just begin to feel empty. We question what our purpose is. Um, and again, the pathway, how long it lasts is very, very different for each of us. Um, Mayan kind of came in waves um, and then gradually as it became conscious to what was happening and then create change, create some new habits and patterns to better serve myself. Um, finding my way, of course, out of that period. Mm, thank you. I love that image of how it came in in waves. That is so relatable. I really understand what, what you mean and can see different waves, if you will, of like the tumultuous times, you know, that just like kind of keep going. <laughs> when is this going to end? And then it does, but not because it was healed. It just chilled out for a little bit, right? <laughs> Yes. Yes. And that brings us to, to, you know, COVID and, and, and what's happening now and the way at minimum, you know, what COVID is, is I call it, it's a pattern interrupt. All of that old autopilot, right? All of that blind way of existing that many of us have, you know, coasted and we, we coast for a reason, you know, our mind, our brain, it needs the most calories of our, any organ in our body. So there's a very real physiological drive for us to free up our resources, essentially for us to run on this autopilot. There's also psychological and emotional uh, reasons to keep functioning on this autopilot, because even though it's maybe resulting in not a, the fully fulfilling life that I imagine I want, it's that which is comfortable. Mm -hmm. And our brain thrives evolutionarily on predictability 
on being able to anticipate what's coming next. So even if logically what happens next is that same habit and pattern that no longer served me, to my mind, it's familiar. So there's safety in that familiar. So we prefer the autopilot for every reason from my brain just likes to conserve um, my, my, my energy, my caloric energy, to it feels safe. It feels safe to know what happens next. So what COVID provided for so many of us at minimum, again, is that pattern interrupt. I don't get up and go and do the same morning routine. I don't drive to work the same way. I'm already being thrown out into this unfamiliar world. That's obviously now complicated by what life does look like. Am I suffering now financial insecurity? Am I stuck at home in relationships that maybe are of those old habits and patterns that no longer serve me. And then of course, our experience of COVID becomes much more complicated, becomes much more activating. Um, and for many of us is sending us down those old habits and patterns, those old pathways, quite literally, that we've rehearsed in our mind, making even the change that we've been able to maintain very hard to maintain. So true. And I wanna, if I could, connect the dots just for myself on a couple things that you touched on. You talked about how, you know, we have these ways of showing up for people. And this was so true for me. I presented myself in a very specific way, but different for so many people. My parents have been separated since I was a very young, from a very young age. I was like a month old when they separated. So that was all I knew. But when I showed up for one parent, it was so different than how I showed up for another parent and how I showed up for my friends and my siblings. Like it was all so very different. And now as you talk about this pattern disrupt, you know, it was kind of like this long time coming of, searching inside and figuring out who am I? Not who am I supposed to be, right? But who am I? And that's hard. It's really hard <laughs> because you've been living like this life of, um, you know, when you talk about that mask almost, like you've been living behind this mask and now you're taking it off and really discovering yourself it's scary because we are rewriting stories and patterns, but it's also very freeing and so unbelievably beautiful. And, and so I, I, I thank you for connecting that not only for me, but I think for others, because I know that that's so true for many people. Yeah. And it can feel incredibly destabilizing, you know, and so many of us hear of these things like my intuition and my path and, you know, drop into this deeper sense to make big decisions. You know, we're looking to, to know who am I supposed to be with? Is this the partner for me? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? And so many of us are, are hung up, not knowing the answers to those questions. I'll share a quick story with you. I didn't know the answer to those questions. I didn't know the answer to how I wanted to spend my time. And there's a very pivotal memory I remember in my 20s, where I had my later 20s, and I was with a long-term partner at the time, and I guess it was around the holidays, and I was feeling very stressed about obligations or what I felt were obligations. My partner wanted me to do one set of plans, my family another set, maybe these friends over here a third. And I was talking to a very kind friend and I was venting and I was, you know, saying all of the places that I felt I was being pulled to be. And she very calmly looked at me. This was just for plans. What do I want to do on Saturday? And she just looked at me and said, okay, well, how do you want to spend your Saturday? You told me what this person wants of you, what that, right? What do you want to do? 
Rachel, my, my mouth might've dropped. I had no answers. I didn't know what I wanted to do on Saturday. I couldn't figure out if what I wanted to do with my time, let alone who I'm supposed to be in the world. So granted, I didn't figure out what I wanted for quite some time from that moment that I'm sharing, but that was really my first ping of, wait a minute, you know, I'm asking myself these big questions and I don't really even know what I want in any given moment. And to speak to your point, I believe a lot of us don't know, aren't practiced enough connecting with ourselves, with that intuition that does. Um, and we then shame ourselves for not knowing. We feel like if you're like me, there was for a very long time, I would have fought you tooth and nail that I didn't have this thing called a passion. There wasn't a purpose inside of me. I was just go, I was just going to go to work and at some time I was just going to not going to be here anymore. And that was my life. Um, obviously I now believe the complete opposite though. Again, I think it's because a lot of us aren't practice and then we shame ourselves. We feel bad that we don't know. We don't know what we want for dinner and we don't know what we're supposed to be in the world. And then we feel like something's wrong. Which then leads to that stuckness that you were referring to. And it's just this ever, ever evolving situation that until, and that this kind of leads us into the next point that I'd like to talk about a little bit is, you know, we, we feel stuck. We don't know what to do. We've been operating at this level for so long. And all of a sudden we realize we have the power to put up some boundaries. And that is one thing that you talk, I mean, you talk about so much on your platform, but the boundaries were so resonating for me. Whenever I, whenever I read your posts about how it's okay and it's almost necessary to put up boundaries, it was like I had someone telling me and giving me permission that it was okay. And those boundaries are hard, not only to implement, but they're hard for the people that you're setting boundaries on. And that was really where the shift was, you know, for me, I realized I was giving my power away. I, I didn't know who I was, what I was doing, what is my life's purpose. I've been a physical education and health teacher for 15 years. And the reason I was a teacher is because one of my parents told me I should be a teacher. <laughs> and it was when I started thinking about that, it was like, okay, and I just kind of felt like I was on a leash, just being pulled and, and kind of sloshed around. And then just with some different things that have happened over the last two, two three years, I realized this doesn't necessarily bring me joy. So what does? And that's when I started asking, like, what is my life's purpose? <laughs> And why am I here? And that's when the boundaries went into play, place and there was some big pushback and it was so hurtful and it was so hard. And that's where the relationships with both of my parents actually came to a screeching halt. And I just... It's one of those things, you know, and we kind of talked a little bit about this before we got on here, was when you put those boundaries in place, you change as a person, and there's pushback from that. How in the world do you keep going now with your parents not talking to you or you not talking to them, and that's been your support system since you were so little? You know, it's so hard. Can you shine some light on that? Like, 
boundaries are essential, but they also come with some pitfalls. Absolutely. And, and boundaries, again, this is another word, concept, tool, because that's what I do believe they are, that was elusive to me. I never heard anyone talk about it. I never heard the concept used in my training. I was never taught that this was something that I should be, you know, exploring with clients. And I came to realize I didn't have any of my own life. Um, though, again, this was not anything, any concept or, or anything that I had met along the way. And I just want to kind of piggyback and, and thank you for sharing your your experience in terms of being a teacher. And I just want to expand that a bit. You know, not only are so many of us told what we're going to be when we grow up, some of us are told what we shouldn't be when we grow up. Some of us, it's not even about the job that we're going to, you know, walk into, into adulthood. Some of us are told how to be, what is okay in terms of our self-expression, what feelings, you know, are appropriate or inappropriate or safe or unsafe or whatever the qualifying word is, though I don't like to use any of them. Um, though we are given, the point I'm trying to make is we're given messages. Sometimes they're direct where we were told, don't cry, you know, don't show weakness, don't be an artist, they don't get paid money, et cetera, et cetera. Some of us, it's not as direct. And for most of us, it's coming from a very well-intentioned place from parents who are, again, doing exactly as they know to do, as they were taught themselves, or even more complicated, who might be doing the opposite in a very well-intentioned way to help you avoid the pain, right, that they experience in childhood. However, we're also given indirect messaging, right? We're given messaging just by we're energetic beings. We can sense, we can feel, right? When mom or dad closes off or pulls away, possibly in response to something that we're showing or being or doing in that moment, and we're logging it. And again, because we're so dependent, because our parents and our families love not only ensures that our physical and emotional needs are met, but that we're part of the group, right? That we're gonna stay here and stay safe emotionally. Again, we start to make all of those accommodations and we become further and further from who we are. So boundaries for a lot of us are our initial, right? Entrance into defining new limits, new tools or spaces for ourselves, so that we over time, because boundaries don't happen overnight, um, we can create a little more space in our world possibly for some of us space where we can learn how to better meet our physical body's needs, how to teach ourselves, how to tune in, tune inward, right? To identify what our body needs, what our body's limits are. How much sleep do I need? Even if everyone else around me. So for instance, I go to bed early. I'm in bed by eight o'clock. That might sound crazy. For me, that's the limit my body needs so that I can feel rested in the morning, Right? That's a limit I have to set for myself so that I feel good tomorrow, regardless of if my partner's going to bed at eight o'clock with me or what the world thinks of an eight o'clock bedtime, etc. Obviously more complicated when we dive into our emotional world and our emotional limits. We're all different. We have different levels of resources. We, we emote differently. We express differently. We tolerate emotions differently. Certain things feel helpful to me when I'm sad that don't feel helpful to me when I'm angry. Right. And that's going to be very different, Rachel, than what works for you. Mm -hmm. Spiritually, we're all unique. Right. Me being me in the world is going to look drastically different, probably than you being you in the world. So we need to define limits so that we can create safety for ourselves in meeting our needs in those areas. And to speak to your point, especially if you're like me, someone who either has no boundaries or could use some new ones, when we begin to create them in our life, 
we do, we do disrupt relationships around us because at minimum, we're just gonna start to violate some expectations that for, for many of us have been in place for a lifetime. I'm always the friend that picks up in the middle of the night. So when Janet calls on Thursday and I don't pick up anymore, she's gonna wonder why I'm not there. So at minimum, we have violation of expectations when we start to show up differently. And then obviously that's complicated even further by the dynamic human on the other end of the relationship and all of the stuff and abandonment that's gonna come up for them when our way of being changes affecting the way they then experience us and the relationship. So I speak a lot about my own journey of boundaries coming from a very boundaryless family of creating boundaries of the external pushback and of the internal pushback. And it is a very difficult process. It's a journey uh, for a lot of us. Like I said, we don't just create boundaries where there were none overnight. And there's a lot of difficulties along the way. However, on the other side of it, um, there's for most of us, a far more sustainable relationship, a far more authentic relationship and a far more fulfilling and connected one ultimately over time. Mm, thank you. Yeah, exactly. And I can see that. I can see that the relationships will come back. And I know through the work that I'm doing, and if anybody else is in the muddy waters of something similar to this, there is the sunshine and the rainbows on the other side. And those relationships will be stronger because both sides will be able to know who they are and what they need and the expectations will be a little different because that conversation will be had and I think that that you know when you talk about being part of the group um, that's one thing that is so hard everyone wants to belong and of course everyone wants to belong and when we especially with our family if we don't feel like we belong it can be like so lonely and so scary and and so healing too because then that forces you as it did for myself to really dive deep inside and figure out who am I so that when the relationships do return I can show up authentically and I can be real and I can really see the other people for who they are because I've done the practice and the work myself which is so it's so great, really, when you think about it, even though maybe you're not on the other side, and I'm not, but I see that it's there, and I see the potential. And I, have, I was always told, we, my husband and I worked with um, a leadership coach a number of years back. And it's funny because anytime we worked with him, who we are, like the essence of us, always had to be part of the conversation because that's how we show up, even in our work. And that always brought up a conversation of, you know, maybe we have certain ways of um, doing things because of childhood, uh, because of parenting, you know, techniques or whatever have you. And that was a topic of conversation for many of our sessions. And he always told me, your parents did the best they could with what they had. And it wasn't until a couple years later that I kept hearing that and finally being able to understand it, that they're dealing with their own trauma and they have their own baggage and there's, and it's heavy for them. And sometimes they choose not 
to see it or work through it or push it aside or let it lead their life. You know, there's so many ways that they can present that, but that's so true. Our parents did the best they could with what they have. And for people like you and I, we have this gift of being able to stop the, the trauma that has come from not only necessarily our parents, but it comes from the generations before them. And it's a big job. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? I see you nodding like, yes, I feel I'm like not, I'm nodding wholeheartedly, <laughs> Rachel, because you're, you're right. And, and I think what's so important is to understand, you know, how these intergenerational habits and patterns, exactly what they are, are passed down. Because like I said earlier, so many of us are doing one of two things. We're carrying incredible amounts of shame, you know, based on these daily habits and patterns that we can't seem to break no matter how much we know better. We can't seem to create and continue, you know, that, that change into the future. So we feel very shameful of it. And some of us even entertain, as I know I did, uh, I, kind of a narrative or a belief that we are implicitly, maybe we even throw in the word genetically limited, right? That this is just the genes that my body has because I see the same habits and patterns. So a lot of the physical issues I had from my digestion to my chronic headaches, to even my, my posture, my sister has very severe scoliosis. I have a very rounded back, right? I now understand that now, not because of my genetics, I could have made that connection, but because of the same patterns, how I held, right? My stress curved my spine. So that's just one example, though a lot of us tend to then entertain and internalize these beliefs that I can't change because no one in my family is. This applies to personality. We seem similar personality traits. I'm shy, I'm withdrawn. So my mom is too, must be genetically my chip. And again, then we start to argue for our limitations. We become stuck in them and we do feel like there's no way to do differently. And I'm of the belief, like I said, that these are patterns. These are habits that we've repeated, you know, with parents doing to the best of their ability and we can still create change. Now, this is something that I just want to mention here um, because you're right. The more awareness we have of our own habits and patterns, the more we can separate and see other people. We can see our parents, maybe from their own trauma, from their own limitations, from the beliefs they practiced for a very long time that got passed on to us. However, acknowledging and accepting their limitations doesn't mean that we have to continue to show up in relationship with them exactly the same way we always have, right? So just something I wanna urge us all to do is to create the space that we can see our parents is doing the best that they can and still decide that we need limits to create safety in those relationships. And here's why I share that. I had a superpower of understanding, or so I you know, believe to a large extent, I understood people's limitations and I would almost argue myself out of whatever feeling I was having, whatever thing I felt like I needed to do to, to protect myself because I could see where they were coming from. I could see it coming from pain. So I would continue to show up for them, even in absence of me knowing I didn't want to in that moment because I would explain away how I was feeling based on a level of understanding for them. So I just want to acknowledge that understanding someone else and their habits and patterns doesn't require us to continue to show up in relationship with them. We can understand and still decide 
that we need new limits. So this is what applied to my own family and boundary creating. I was able to understand, you know, why a lot of the habits and patterns existed in my family of origin. And yet I still came to the conclusion that I needed to make some new choices. Um, so that and I think is something that I just want to highlight because I think it's important um, uh, because I don't want people to misunderstand that, you know, if we can see why our parents do and maybe still do right those things that hurt us doesn't mean that I have to still shut up to be hurt in that way. I can hold space for understanding and still decide that I need a new limit or a new boundary in place. Absolutely. And I appreciate that. That's definitely so important and something to just always remember to keep in mind. And you mentioned something in a podcast. I heard you on the Yoga Girl podcast and it was just so beautiful, your guys' conversation. And one thing that you said was you needed the space away from your family in order for yourself to heal. And that was, it like, was like a sucker punch almost to my stomach. Like, yes, exactly. I need this space so I can heal. And from what I understand, and, and if you don't mind to just maybe shine a little bit of light on maybe where you are now, because I understand that maybe you are back in relation with one or both of your parents, but would you mind to talk about just maybe how that transition went because I think that um, it would be so helpful like we just talked about a little bit ago that it's like that bridge right like how do we get over that bridge of we have this relationship we recognize that it's not healthy for us so we put the boundaries in place maybe the relationship ceases so that we can heal but then that bridge to come back like we were like we were talking about would you mind to share a little bit for sure. So I, I will, this was a, an evolution over several years and I will kind of give you the main points of boundaries with my family. Um, so there was the stage in a sense that I came to the realization that I had very few boundaries and I started to experiment with putting some in place outside of my family and then inside of my family. And these look like limits, limits in terms of how available I was for, you know, we have a lot of uh, medical issues in my family. So how available was I to be there, to be on call, to be talking about topics that in my family were very cyclical um, and were very pervasive, very overwhelming. Two, you know, how much time do I want to spend with them? You know, what am I doing and how is time being spent with my family? So I started to figure that I wanted to do things a little differently. So there was a period of several months where I would start to initiate and set boundaries in place with my family of origin. And then I would see what their reaction was. And what I came to realize is that, to speak to the, what I shared on, on Yoga Girl, is my, I was having a hard time creating enough space for me to even begin to turn inward, to be, even begin to be able to explore who I was or what I needed because my family was ever present. They were living very close to me in Philadelphia at the time and our relationship had gotten very merged. So the decision to go no contact, which is what I eventually came to, wasn't immediately made overnight. That's why I want to share that kind of 
uh, lead up period because what I was doing for that several months was, was I was trying to create that space. I was trying to figure out a way not to have to or not to make the choice to cut off contact. So, Because that, if I'm honest, was one of the most difficult choices I've ever made in my life was to the way I went is I had I sent a very long, you know, explanation because I had historically had a had known that when I try to have hard conversations, feelings get very big very quickly and receptivity, the willingness to hear shuts down. So for me, it felt safest to deliver in writing where I could get all of my thoughts out giving my family the space to, you know, take time away from reading it or go back and to keep me safe from their reaction. Hardest letter level letter I ever sent. Hardest several months after that I ever experienced. Because even though I had the space now and I shut down contact, I told them in the letter that I would not be responding, that I did need some time and space to figure my own self out they were still in my mind. I still had feel bads. I felt terrible. I worried about what they were thinking. I wasn't used to them not being ever present in my life. And then I was left with big gaping hole. I was left with trying to find my way through the discomfort, through not only feeling bad about not having contact with my family, but doing the work to reconnect with myself. So something you asked earlier in terms of the loneliness, as I began to heal over, you know, the better part of now months into years, you know, I was doing the work of healing, showing up every day differently, creating new habits and patterns in the way I cared for my physical, emotional, spiritual body and how I showed up in my relationships. And you know what, Rachel, I started to feel a new loneliness now, not that emptiness that I was describing before. Now that that came from lack of connection. Now I was feeling like I want to be connecting with other people. I do know how to show up now as myself a little bit more, and I want to find other people to actually connect with. And that's where the community of self-healers, that's where the virtual membership that we now offer, the self-healer circle, that's where that really took hold as a vision in my mind. How do we find the people that we can be authentic with? because that loneliness is going to be part of the healing journey for a lot of us. And like I've been saying all along, we're interpersonal. We need those relationships. So it's really helpful for anyone listening to as we're shifting our older relationships and maybe starting to have that space and feel that pull to connect, that we find the people, that we begin to bravely because for a lot of us, it's uncomfortable to begin to show ourselves as we are. We have all of those old fears that kept us from doing it for however long, though that's necessary, finding those spaces. For some of us, we're lucky if it's one person that we can begin to experiment with being a little more authentic and then we show up. So for me, my family, my soul family became the self-healers, became the people that I was now authentically connecting with. And then before time, I started to think about my family. I started to feel confident enough on my own foundation. I started to notice that I was pretty practiced. I was getting good essentially at identifying my own needs at showing up for myself pretty consistently. Now, even in relationships, because I started to populate my world now with relationships where I was practicing showing up more authentically each and every day. And then I began to consider what does reconnecting look like? Is there a future where we can join together as a family unit that won't look the same 
there was a lot of mourning that won't be the same dynamics that they always were, but that could look different. Um, and that's when I opened the door of communication. Um, I sent an email to my family, um, letting them know that, you know, I had done a lot of work and I was feeling like I was in a space. I was wanting and I was interested on hearing where they were because they had now spent the better part of almost two years. I don't know what doing. I didn't know. Um, so that for me was the initiation into what be what is now a journey back. Um, we began the reconnection process um, in therapy. So they were, had been in family therapy. I had come to find out that they themselves, you know, my absence um, kind of prompted them into going into family therapy and then their own single individual therapies. And we had all decided that it felt safe for us to have our first initial few conversations in a therapist's office so that we could begin to navigate breaking some of these old patterns and maintaining some of these boundaries outside of the therapy space. So it's been very much a gradual evolution um, with how do we all now find a way toward a much more sustainable relationship. And I think my pivot point was, like I said, coming to the realization that I had a foundation in place, having some degree of confidence in myself that I cultivated, showing up for myself day in and day out, that I could remain connected to that inner guidance system, even when that pull to those old habits was right there. Because that's what happens when we reconnect. For some of us, it's going home at Christmas. We can see how we kind of regress. We go back into some of those old patterns. We tend to, you know, kind of fit into that puzzle piece in the family that we've always fit into. And for a lot of us, you know, we might have partners. I know for many years, I'd have partners that experienced me differently when I was home versus when I was in relationship with them. Um, so knowing when, when we feel ready to reconnect, it's important to be aware that those old habits and patterns are going to be right below the surface. So like I said, there's a certain level of confidence and trust in ourselves, yet offering everyone the awareness and acknowledgement that the pull is going to still be there. Uh, we can't feel totally secure that I'm going to go back and maintain this new person because it is scary because we are entering in a dynamic that is from that old place, housing all of those old patterns, and it is really strong um, to pull back to. So it takes a certain amount of confidence. And then the learning experience of navigating now a new relationship with old people, in a sense. Thank you. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your story in such a, a real way. A hundred percent. It was like you were telling my story. <laughs> That's how I just felt. I too wrote a letter and just asked for space and time. And there was, you know, another time where I asked, how can we move forward in our relationship in a positive way? And it was shut down and that is hard. And so it is just, you know, those boundaries and then doing the work ourselves and knowing that that is okay. There's so many times I think that we, you know, get pulled into that as you talk about shame and guilt because it's there and it's loud and um, it's important to understand that um, we really have to face it all head on. So thank you for that. I very, very much appreciate that. Um, and again, that ties in, you know, you, you talked about the ego. And you talk about the ego 
quite often actually. And it was a number of years ago, actually about six or so years ago, a friend of mine recommended an Eckhart Tolle book to me, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. And that was the very first time that I've ever heard the concept of the ego. And when you can hear your ego and see how your ego shapes your behaviors, it is, it's kind of a mind fuck, actually. <laughs> it makes you go like, oh my gosh, I'm doing that. And can you talk a little bit about the ego? Because it's all interconnected with how we show up and the, the guilt, the shame, the bound. I mean, it's all so connected. Yeah. So if you could just shine some light there, that'd be great. Of course, of course. And again, the ego and another word for the simplest definition of ego that I like to offer, Rachel, is it's the story of us. It's a story that we've created about who we are, what our place is in the world, who we are in relationships, what our past was like, what our future will be that begins to get created in childhood based on an accumulation of our very real lived experiences. Right. So for me, some of my ego stories were right. I am shy. I am alone. I am different from other people. Stories that I repeated based on experiences and perceptions that I've had in childhood. Little do we know, however, that most of these stories, again, are based in experiences that are colored by everything and all of the people around us that are colored again by our parents and the limitations and the best of their ability parenting that they've given us. They're colored by the experiences that our parents can't control that we have outside of the home, right? And they become a repetition that we rehearse daily. Mm -hmm. We then repeat these stories of ourselves, not only when the thing happens in our life, it becomes the running inner monologue that is the filter through which we're, we're, we're viewing all of our daily lived experiences. Because little do most of us know it as adults, we are having thoughts all day long throughout our day. Where, and not only are we having thoughts, we don't typically have new thoughts. We're not birthing new ideas. We're having the same old repetitive narratives. And there's a reason because our brains are what we call neuroplastic. We've probably all heard the saying, neurons that fire together, wire together. And they get really good at firing their neural circuits. And that's quite simply what a thought is, a fired neuron that happened in our mind. And the more we rehearse it, the more that pathway gets soldered, gets mapped down in and becomes the only thought that our kind of mind spins. And here's where I'm going to urge everyone listening not to believe me when I tell you that you're having thoughts all day long to tune in. This is where I, I suggest we incorporate a practice of learning how to be a witness to ourselves, not only the habits that we're living in the world, but the habits that we're rehearsing in our in our minds, tuning into the endless dialogue, the endless story of about who you are, about the things that happen to you and what they mean. Um, we create this whole vibrant dialogue that, like I said, little do we know, is incessant, is happening all year, all all time, all day long, all year long, into infinity. It's like I said, becoming the filter that we're viewing the world through. And it's a large reason why we're stuck in that past. 
why we feel reactive why, and why our reactions are always typically the same. It's because we're living our, wor our, our world through that ego mind's eye and we're not expanding to all of the other aspects of ourselves, all of the things that we've modified or adapted or pushed aside because at some time we were made or the experiences around us resulted in us feeling badly about them. Um, so something that I like to just clear up in terms of, okay, you know, if you, you do take my suggestion and you go out and you witness and you come to see that there is a whole story going on in your head all day long, it's very repetitive and you have this egoic idea of who you are, right? Here's where I tell you that your, your, our goal right, isn't to kill the ego. It's not a bad thing that that's happening all, all day in your head. It's actually quite a normal thing. It's back to that pull toward the familiar our mind likes us to stay in that repetitive story of us because any new story is threatening. It's unknown. I haven't lived an experience of being this new different person in quite some time. So it's unfamiliar and back to what we were talking about earlier, unsafe. So the goal is to be aware that our ego is there. And then like our goal is with any of these habits and patterns that we're trying to break or create change around is to create space is to be able to acknowledge, which is quite difficult in real time, when my ego is present and when it's attempting to be the lens through which I view the world in this current moment and over time to expand that space. So in what I call that dual awareness, I can see my ego voice, thank it for its service. You did keep me safe at one time. However, now I'm going to make a new choice. I'm going to show up differently. I'm going to entertain a new thought about myself or my future in this moment. So to be clear, anyone who identifies their egoic voice, congratulations, you're human. And the goal isn't to shut that voice down. You're not going to. Our goal is to create space where it can acknowledge that voice and begin to have a, a new say, one that I'm consciously writing for myself so that I can, you know, scribe the narrative that I'm living now into the future. And it's not one that I'm just repeating from my past. Because for, for a lot of us, it's no longer applicable. Those experiences aren't in my current reality. Um, and we only come to see that, like I said, when we come to identify it and create that space to create the opportunity for a new experience, including a new thought that over time we will come to believe. Mm, Nicole, thank you for putting all of that into such a tangible, relatable way that we can understand. I think when we hear that, you know, that word, the ego, it, it's, it's big, it's a lot, and it encompasses so much of our essence, you know, because I am this, I am that, as you were saying. So thank you for, for describing it in that way. That was so excellent. One thing that coming, you know, as we're speaking about the ego, a huge shift for me was when I started in my meditations using positive affirmations. And just repeating that and creating those new neural yeah. circuits because it's just as we're changing not only our behavior, we have to change our thoughts. And that was a big shift and a powerful shift. And that is what has allowed me to be able to really step out of where I was and put myself out there in this way on this platform and if you would have told me five years ago that one day I'd have a podcast and the world was going to listen, I'd be like, yeah, right. 
And, you know, for you, as we're doing this, one of my, one of my biggest, um, well, I, I work, let me back up just a little bit. I work with a number of, I call them intuitives. They might call themselves something different. For me, that's my word. And one of my go-to intuitives that I work with in Boulder, she told me years ago, you heal yourself, you heal the world. And that's what you're doing on your platform. And that's the big concept of what I am striving for in, in my community as well. Because it's so true. When we can work on ourselves and we can show up to the world with who we are in our authentic truth, we can show others that they have it all inside of them as well. But we have to do the work. <laughs> And that's hard. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I will be the first person to agree with you. There's never in a million years when I've imagined this would have been my life's journey, that this would have been the teaching, you know, that I was doing, that I was even capable, let's even back it up further, of healing myself. Mm -hmm. I believe for all of the litany of reasons, right, from the genetics to just everything that I saw and, and saw myself living, that I wasn't, I wasn't capable of this change. Um, and I actually, so like a lot of us, I happened to pick a partner who could not be opposite from me in so many ways. So very early on in our relationship, she became my point of, point of contrast. And what I mean when I say that, I saw things that came maybe easier to her than they did to me or certain ways of being that she just was, you know, more consistently, you know, kind of exhibiting, expressing to the world. And I would see her and again, argue for all the reasons why I would never you know, look like that, be like that, have that experience in the world, be deserving of the things that I imagine she felt deserving of, and the litany went on. And so what I came to live is I came to change those beliefs. I came to very much have beliefs that I would have fought for, that I had the science to back, that I had the schooling to back. And over time, I began to create new ones because my definition of what a belief is, it's quite simple. It's a practice thought. That's all it is that, that is then verified by the lived experience. But remember, we're playing an active participant. We're filtering out our lived experience, confirming that thought time and time and time again, filtering out all of the information that could be disconfirming the thought because we do have actually a part of our mind. It's called the reticular activating system, a part of our brain that does that. It likes to be right. And then before we know it, we have what we call a belief. But I talk about it in those senses because if we can understand that our pathway to creating a new belief begins what for many of us believers, woo-woo. There was a time where I would have told you manifestation, mantras, affirmations, woo-woo, right? If we understand what that is, a thought. So, right, pretty logical. I've practiced all of these negative thoughts about myself for some time and that they've now solidified into a belief, my way to create a new belief does begin with one thought. So call it a mantra, call it an affirmation, call it whatever you want, rehearsing that day in and day out. I went as far. I created a daily practice of conscious intentional journaling that I eventually called future self journaling, where each and every day I set a conscious intention to create change. And I lay down some new thoughts that map on to as if that change is already real and I'm rehearsing. 
So I'm rehearsing new thoughts that, like I said, did not happen overnight. I didn't throw out the old belief, put a new one in and keep it moving like most of us want to do, myself included. I began to practice new thoughts that over time began to, you know, expand that reticular activating system to let in possible evidence that that thought might not be as inaccurate as I once believed it to be. And then over time, I began to confirm and then I created a new belief. So I say all of this to just to illustrate what a mantra is, how we create new beliefs. And also anyone out there doing the work of this, I'm going to let you know right now, throw out any expectation, please, that you're going to believe this new thought right away because you're not. Because for a very long time, I would say all these great new thoughts about myself. I'm peace. I'm love. All the things that I wanted to be, right? I'm calm. And my, my subconscious might as well have been rolling its eyes at me. It's like, sure you are, Nicole. Right. Your heart rate's through the roof. You just yelled at your partner. You seem like a crazy person right now. You are the farthest thing from calm, though, over time. So anyone who right, is engaging or has in the past done any mantra or thought work or you know, want to change or affirm some new things, don't expect your beliefs to overnight magically change, but know that that is the pathway out. So anyone listening, um, if you have a journaling practice or if you do like the idea of being intentional about creating some new thoughts and beliefs and experiences in our lives that think they might be a benefit of the future self journaling can jump on my email list. Um, and that I actually just release a new expanded edition. So it comes in a nice PDF packet to get anyone started and it's called future self journaling. So for me, that was a very integral tool to begin to find a pathway toward maybe entertaining new thoughts. Yes, yes. Uh, amazing. I love that. And would you say that there was some mirror work that was being done as you were w- witnessing the behaviors and aspects of your of your partner and the things that she was showing you? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's the mirror work that, you know, reflects back from each person that we interact with. Mm-hmm. Um, the mirror work and the, the person that I'm speaking of could be the stranger on the internet, right? Where we see someone else's life and something becomes activated in us. The whole world around us, as far as I see it, is, is a walking mirror. It's a reflection. And anytime, you know, we have that big feeling, it's worth looking at. It's worth exploring because those are usually indicators, right? That there's something deeper in there or in this experience or being reflected back from this person that's in there for me. Um, Another way that I hear mirror work is I think the mirror work that a lot of us think about, like actually looking at oneself in the mirror. I think there's a whole litany of that type of work. How do I begin to see who I am, to speak to maybe an inner part of self, Um, And I smile when I think about that type of work and I smile when I talk about the platform itself, because as visible as I am to, you know, three plus million people now on the platform, as seen as I am mirror work and actually allowing myself to acknowledge that I'm seen by that many people, if I'm honest, Rachel, is probably the most uncomfortable experience for my little child within. So a lot of us, I think, have that desperate desire to be seen in our authenticity and when we are because we're either seeing ourselves by you know doing that mirror work type of acknowledgement of the deeper part of me or we're being maybe seen in our authenticity by someone else by partners by friends maybe by social media and the platform you've built a lot of us can have that inner conflict i want it so bad and oh my gosh i want to run it's the most uncomfortable thing i've ever done and i still have that experience quite often 
Oh, totally. Thank you for saying that because you show up so confidently uh, as you and I feel that. It's just like part of me just, I want to shrink sometimes, but I know that once I just really evolve and open up, it's just, it's going to help so many more people. And that kind of, I just to, before we kind of wrap up today, I want to come back to something that we talked about at the beginning that I feel fits really well right here as you're talking about your future self journal and the different components on your, on your, in your community and on your platform is the theme for 2021, according to astrology is having that beginner's mind. And that is, I think it just ties in so well of, you know, where to start is it, it's so unknown and everybody's case is so different. And so it's just having this beginner's mind of curiosity. What if I did say these positive things about myself? What if I did write in my journal as if things were happening now, the things that I want from my life and what I want to offer or whatever the case is for you? I think just, you know, as you touched on that at the beginning, I think that's a great way to kind of wrap up a lot of this is that beginner's mind is so huge. It's just, like you said, we're sponges and to, to really go with that. Yeah, beginner's mind, embracing that and, you know, allowing for the almost inevitable presence of that pull to the familiar, that desire to not do the new thing, to not entertain the new thought, to not be the new way, because that's where that comes from. I call it resistance. For some of us, it lives in the monkey mind that we're spending most of our time in throughout our day. All of the reasons why this isn't going to work and this will never work and it didn't work last time. So why bother? And actually, I should be doing this other thing right now because this other thing is way more important than this thing right now. So I'm going to go ahead, right? All of the reasons why not to. Some of it drops down into our bodies where we just we get an agitation. We maybe feel a discomfort. We might call it. Someone might even just say, I just don't feel like myself doing this new life. It's just not fitting. And the reason why I highlight this resistance is for two reasons. It's natural. It's human. It lives in our subconscious. It's that pull to the familiar, that desire to be in those old habits, even when they're not serving us. So it's human. And a lot of us at this point, we then make those attributions such as, oh, this resistance is an indicator that this isn't the path for me. That this, this is take, I'm taking this to mean, right? This is my big universal marker that I'm not meant to have that thing. So that's why I go on and on um, about resistance, about that pull to the familiar, because that's the next stage of it. We have curiosity. We maybe, I want to commend everyone for even listening to me talking right now, these new ideas, because for a lot of us, these are challenging. This is the first layer of resistance, right? Where I don't, I don't know about this. And like I said, don't take my word for it. So hearing this, embracing the beginner's mind and allowing for the inevitable presence of the resistance of that drive, that part of you to want you to go back into those old familiar pathways. So know that that's part of the journey of change. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean at all that you're going in, in the wrong direction. For a lot of us, it's indicator that we're changing, that we are beginning to create new experiences in our life. So it's beginner's mind, right, with the awareness and the acceptance um, that with new things, with the unfamiliar, comes discomfort. Totally. Yeah. Thank you. So I like to ask my guests, 
And you touched on this a little bit, so I'm curious to hear how you kind of wrap it all into an answer. Do you feel that you're living your rich, authentically aligned, wholesome life? I do. I do. I think every moment, you know, that I, and it is on a moment to moment, you know, stepping into my authenticity. Um, For me, uh, a word that you would have heard me speak, you know, in terms of my soul's desire um, would have been two words actually mushed together into a concept. Um, you would have heard me speaking of the, the really desire to be peaceful and to feel free. Mm. Um, and I think each and every moment I can, I can uh, embrace, you know, or the, either of those experiences that I do feel like I'm, I'm in alignment and alignment identifying my needs allows me to, to feel um, authentically free in that way. It doesn't mean that each and every moment is peaceful or or is pleasant. Um, freedom in my opinion is built around choice. So each moment I'm conscious and I'm present, even the discomfort that is a lie for me, I'm giving myself the opportunity to create a choice in that moment. Um, one that's either in alignment or not in alignment. And I'm of, of the belief that each and every moment we live, is a new moment for a choice. So that's what I mean when I mean freedom. I mean the ability to choose. Coming from 30 plus years of feeling like I didn't have that choice, of feeling like I was just autopilot, scripted, and reacting my way through life. So that's what it is to, to you know live live for me. It's it's freedom, and I feel like embodying that through moment to moment choice is what this is all about. So beautifully put. Thank you, Nicole. Now you have some exciting things happening. I'm just like, I, there was a post on Instagram or yeah, on Instagram the other day of this girl who wrote waiting for Dr. Nicole's book to come. And she had, I was like, I can so relate. <laughs> can you share a little bit about what, you know, how we can get our hands on it when we can expect that, what, what that's all about? So the, my passion project for the last, gosh, two, almost two years now, a year and a half, um, is my first book. It's called How to Do the Work. I am super excited about the book because it does finally give me the opportunity of really kind of from top to bottom, you know, the whole holistic model um, of healing uh, is highlighted in the book. So everything from why we're stuck, you know, everything that you and I were exploring, Um, the habits and patterns that come from our childhood that get repeated, Um, talking a lot about the inner child that lives within each of us and how all of our protective mechanisms, essentially our onion gets formed. Um, And then of course the the book takes a pivot and begins to talk about the pathway out. How do we create change? So for me, um, this is, I'm really excited about it for many reasons. Um, I love books, but beyond that, um, like I said, I, I, I'm viewing it and thinking about it like a real roadmap. Um, so anyone who's is interested in con- conceptually understanding, you know, holistic psychology, holistic wellness, to those that are interested in, in doing the work, because at the end of each chapter, um, I make it action-based. There's action steps, whether it's journal prompts, meditations, um, you know, things to consider, activities, lifestyle-based interventions. So how do I translate right, the awareness into daily action? 
Um, I'm also particularly excited because there it will be internationally published. So in a lot of different languages. So giving, I think, people in their native tongues the opportunity to read this work would be incredible. So I am super excited. It will live in the world. Its birth date, if you will, is March 9th. So soon, not soon enough. I'm super excited. It is currently on pre-order. So anyone who is interested um, can check the link in my Instagram bio where I can provide it to you for the show notes and can um, pre-order it now. It is on pre-sale, though to confirm, it will be delivered to everyone's mailbox who either ordered it via pre-sale or when it is out on March 9th. Awesome. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. I think I pre-ordered mine back in maybe October, September. <laughs> I was like, so I feel like I'm waiting forever. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I know. I know. It's been a lot. It feels like a long time coming. Actually, truth be told, I just had a sent in final edits about two weekends ago. So a little behind or behind the scenes while it's on pre-order. It's still just getting finished. It's a wild experience writing a book. I bet. I bet. But how what a, what a great feeling to just be able to make something, these concepts that can be big and overwhelming, tangible, and um, something that we can apply to our daily lives. I'm just super stoked. Thank well, you. Pre I appreciate, Rachel, you feeling that way about it and saying that, because like I said, I think that that's what's important. Um, a lot of these concepts, even for me, just lived in ideas. Um, so understanding how they translate to the daily life so that you can be a witness to them and then furthermore to create change. So hearing that I'm, I'm, I'm hitting that mark um, via your opinion, that, that's amazing because that, that is what my main intention is. And obviously to make it then accessible. Um, that's why I'm on Instagram. That's why, I mean, I don't have any intention of leaving, you know, the free platforms such as Instagram, because while yes, the book will be, you know, the top to bottom, you know, every, everything that I put out daily um, is content, you know, taken directly from the book. It's just the book is a bit deeper of a dive because creating accessibility um, for me is really, really important as well. So. Excellent. Yeah. And if you could please send me that link and I will include that in the show notes for this podcast, that would be awesome. I appreciate it. Nicole, thank you. This was such a beautiful conversation. It was, it, it was some, it was actually very comforting. Um, you know, I, I don't almost like to say that because we don't ever want anyone to live in a world where there's hurt and there's hardship, but knowing that there's other people that are dealing with similar components of what we're working on in our own life really allows us to broaden our support base and our system. And so I really, really appreciate you sharing and being so open and vulnerable and just so easy to talk to. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Of course, right back to you. And I, you know, anyone who shares space with me and is interested in my work and, you know, it is, is so meaningful to me. So thank you for the work you put out there in the world. Um, my hope is that, you know, we, what I believe my message is self-healing is one of empowerment and, you know, like you said, heal the self, heal the world, um, learning how to show up in our own voice, speaking our own truth, putting it out there for the people that can take the part of it that resonates or the all of it that resonates um, and begin to share their own story. So I see you doing the same thing in the world. And I just want to honor that. Um, I'm, I envision a future of us all showing up as the unique puzzle piece that we are, you know, telling our stories as empowered humans, um, creating change um, at the global uh, collective level. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Of course. Heal yourself, heal the world. It's always an adventure. 
adventure awaits. If something in this episode resonated with you, please subscribe to the Live Your Raw Life podcast so you can be alerted when new episodes drop. And please leave a review while you are there. I will be back with you next week, Thursday, sending light, love, and positive energy your way. We will see you next week. Thank you.